0: Fab Filippo is an actor, screenwriter, and playwright. Most recently, he co-created, wrote, and directed the critically acclaimed comedy-drama, Sort Of, for CBC and HBO Max. A winner of a slew of awards, Sort Of is the main focus here. But Fab has also worked on a huge array of shows and films over the years, from his work writing and directing Save Me, to co-writing the true crime indie film Perfect Sisters. Gray Powell has worked all over Canada with various theater companies but has spent the most time acting at the Shaw Festival where he is a festival star. His most recent film and television credits include Hudson and Rex, Designated Survivor, Murdoch Mysteries, and the Netflix film Ark. My conversation with Fab and Gray grew out of an article that I just wrote for CBC that focuses on this fantastic show, sort of. A series focused on the character of Sabi, played so captivatingly by Bilal Bag who is also the show's co-creator, executive producer, and writer. My article talks about my experience as the father of a transgender kid in the 21st century, and about how the show challenges us as caregivers to consider the emotional labor that kids, and especially gender non-conforming kids, often have to do to support their parents. In one part of the piece, I call the show a careful study of the gendered politics of caregiving, that uses humor to explore the idea that our ability to properly see others comes from combining humility and self-awareness with love. So clearly the show has really caused me to think about some of my own ideas around gender and identity. It's remarkable, I think, for the ways that it does this through subtle storytelling rather than by being didactic or preachy. And this is one of the things that we talk about a lot in this conversation. How does a show that's built in part out of the parameters of trying to find arts funding in Canada a tone that is gentle and subtle without losing its edge or abandoning its radical commitment to honesty, gender and racial inclusion, intersectionality, and queer love. Fab jokes here that he doesn't think Canada invented subtlety or gentleness in storytelling, but senses that one defining feature of the new Canadian flourishing of progressive television might be an interest in cross-sectionality. So as a white, cisgender, hetero dad, I felt most seen, or maybe implicated, by the depiction of Paul, played by Gray, um, who alongside his partner Bessie, played by Grace Lynn Kung, employs Sabi as a nanny for his two kids, Violet and Henry. Fab has spoken before about how developing the character of Paul was important to honing the show's voice and direction, and one moment that we keep coming back to here is is a particularly moving scene shot for season two of the show, which debuts on November 15th, by the way, on CBC Gem. In the scene, Paul gets home after a very difficult day, and as Gray puts it, he just needs a moment of emotional release. Despite not being able to find the right register in the moment, Gray says that he had to push himself as an actor because of time constraints, and the result is, in Fab's words, an awe-inspiring demonstration of what Gray is capable of as an actor. But the scene's also just as much an example of the vision and skill set that Fab brings as a director and showrunner. I'll mention too that at a couple of points here, Fab talks about how he's thrilled by the existence of this interview with Greg, because of the original genesis of Sort Of, to make a show about how each of us is going through transitions, and about how not all transitions are alike. The three of us talk about what it means to try to constantly learn and be humble as dads, to negotiate ego and be adaptable to situations. I think Fab's point is well taken here. He reminds us that, quote, you cannot engineer your child. Just like as an artist, they have to let go of perfectionism, being a parent means relinquishing control of your kids and giving them, as the show puts it, room to be new. The result with Sort Of is a show where every character has a distinct voice and three dimensions. The humor feels organic, and yet the overall tone feels cohesive. It's a rare feat and one accomplished they say by creating a creative environment that respects difference and that seeks difference and yeah so i am writing this piece for cbc um that tries to reflect on my own uh experience as a father of a a transgender tween um and a non-binary teen um both you know relatively new developments in our experience as a family so it's just it's a show that's meant a lot to me um so first of all thanks for making it uh it's it's a tremendous thing that you've created
1: thank you for watching it and for also being open to you know the show and your children
0: yeah um it it honestly has meant a lot and and obviously it means a lot to a lot of people like this is the obviously the power of um I guess like not just uh, storytelling, but in some ways like storytelling in a digital medium, which can reach so many people. So, you know, sort of as a show that has obviously moved audiences, but it's like also a show that has won a number of awards. It's won, you know, a a Peabody. uh, It's won Canadian Screen Actor Awards uh, for Best Comedy, Best Writing, Member's Choice Series Ensemble Award, all kinds of awards. Um, And it's like interesting to think about a show in almost like the wake of Shit's Creek um, in Canada, receiving this much acclaim, like Canada is obviously um, there's this incredible, like flourishing of creative talent, but it's it's misunderstood in, I think, some ways. And this is sort of where I wanted to start was, was sort of by thinking about the like Canadian-ness of the show, because I think that's kind of what's interesting about it. It's not especially stereotypically Canadian. And yet I read a uh, review in NPR by John Powers about the show And I want to quote a piece of that review to kind of frame this question. He says, and I I have issues with this. He says, whatever radicalism sort of possesses is quiet. So quiet that some viewers may find it too tame too dare I say it, Canadian. The show takes issues that are often used as hot buttons, trans life, racial difference, interracial relationships, and with decent good sense, treats them as an everyday, often funny part of life. What I think this misses is like the complicated relationship of the characters on the show with Canada. You know, Seven uh, uh, returns from Germany in the first season and is, you know, asked like why she's in Canada. And she says like, why is anyone in Canada? <laughs> um, in the new se- season, Seven has this joke about like how the only context in which it's okay to listen to Canadian alt rock. It's like when you're going to the cottage. <laughs> and yet it is sort of like, Set in Toronto, it's it's situated in a way that has this kind of restless relationship to Canada and sort of Canadian cultural norms. Um, so, Gray, you've talked about, for example, how you feel like sort of offers people an invitation to identify with the humanity and complexity of all the communities represented was part of the point, And this is to both of you to sort of take the risk of challenging viewers who might expect a kind of homogeneous Canadian-ness from their TV to realize that there is like a radical diversity of people and perspectives in this country.
2: I'll stick to I'll stick to my lane in terms of just speaking from um, as an actor. um, I speak to being a dad uh, outside of being an actor and uh, sort of the character of, of Paul. But in terms of approaching it, I it all comes, you know, as an actor, it comes from the writing and so the complexities that are in there in terms of not in terms of approaching it it just is it seemed from the writing and from the spirit of what the show is that everyone as you know as the show talks about is is it you know life in transition that the, the intersectionality of just wh- where people are at at that time where paul is at at that time and facing the reacting to the 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 situations that are confronting him at that time be it within the family, be it with um, negotiating with Sabi, being it with negotiating just his own life in general. So, uh, and where his as his as his kids are growing, um, and where they're where he's meeting them at that moment. And I think the inherent complexities of that. I never thought about sort of wh- where we were, whether we were in Canada, Toronto, and how that affected it. It was just how's he dealing with each moment as it comes. Does that? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think it does. <laughs> so, so everything yeah. else. So I assume everything. You know. So then, that's the that's the micro. That's the minutia. And then everything resonates from there because of. And I put it on the writing that the writing was so human in that sense. It it was honest in each situation. That mm-hmm. um, nothing nothing was ever treated as 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 token moments. Nothing was ever treated as. Um, we really want to hammer this point home that this is important for all to listen to. It was all just in the minutia of the relationships. Fab's biggest thing was just, you know, let's just let we, let's just be real honest and talk to each other in these moments. And I, as an actor, I feel like those are the moments that then res, those are the, that's what gives the ripples in the pond that then go, go out Mm -hmm. Um, and then people take on, but they will.
0: I love that thing about like focusing on the micro, not the macro, not you know, Canada writ large, but these people's experience of maybe existing in this culture, whereas Seven says at one point it is a bit of like a cisgender dystopia in some ways still, like a bit of a closed minded culture, but it's not It's never preachy. It's about the specific character's kind of granular experience of life on the ground, as it were. And Paul's Paul's only experience is dealing. He he comes at
2: life through a fairly you know binary sensibility, and he he Mm. he is he is cis and binary. That's not him um, uh, trying to be cis. That's just who he is. I mean, Fab, you might you might have something that's uh, more profound on the on the on the bigger sort of creative level and what the message was. But from from my from my lane, that was. Uh, At least to a, I I couldn't, if I had thought about how the, the bigness of it and how, Mm. how it would resonate, that would, my brain would
1: uh, blow up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I, I I think it's an amazing question. uh, This, this idea of like how Canadian is this show? Mm. Um, And I've heard a a number of reviews, usually American uh, attributing the sort of, gentleness of the show to a kind of Canadian-ness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I don't know if Canada invented like subtlety in storytelling, um, but okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, on the other hand, as an artist, you know, we are always, because of the way we fund stuff in our country, we're always trying to fall into a category of Canadianness, and the, what is the definition of Canadian? You know, we've definitely when we were shopping it, we're told that the show wasn't Canadian enough, you know? And I, I've had like right. many things that I've made that weren't Canadian enough. Um, and, and, and so, you know, what does that mean? Yeah.
0: What, what does that mean? Exactly. Weird, right? I,
1: I mean, you know, Bilal and I really, when we came together to, to make this show, we wanted to represent the cross-sectionality of existing in Toronto. This is how I grew up. This is what it looked like, you know, and um, and I think what makes the show, frankly, more Canadian than, you know, your average kind of American show is not really the subtlety or the, quote, gentleness of the show, but it's the cross-sectionality of the show. Usually an American show is African-American. Or South Asian, or, you know, usually shows are sort of one thing, you know? This show isn't one thing. This show's frankly not even like entirely queer, you know? It's a queer show, but it's also a show about family, like you said. And it's also a show about, you know, brownness. And it's also a show about, like being in this world and being a cis white male and, and trying to find your place in it. And it really does live up to the name, sort of, because it's like, even genre wise, it's like, it's is it a drama? Is it a comedy? You know, sort of.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot about the, the title of the show, honestly. And it reminds me of Frances Ha, that wonderful Greta Gerwig film, um, and how like the, the kind of title metaphor of that film is unfinishedness. You don't see her full name. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea of like not seeing someone's full name, not having it all figured out. Um, and that is in some ways distinct from the show that I, I mentioned And we won't, you know, necessarily spend too much time on Schitt's Creek, but it's funny that like that show, I think casts a sort of not a shadow, but it has this like powerful influence on, um, sort of as it were, queer storytelling, uh, what's allowable, what's imaginable. It pushed things forward in certain ways, but, As you know, Billy Eichner's character in Bros points out, it also is so gentle um, that it it kind of loses a little bit of edge to some extent. But strategically, right, Um, to just achieve some kind of um, yeah, like progress through storytelling, and like this is to me what is so wonderful about sort of is it like it kind of catapults it forward. Um, And from what I understand, like the genesis of the show is that you know, you presented uh, Fab, the idea of this show to Bilal based on uh, their experiences and that they, you know, basically put it to you that there wasn't an obvious reason for you to be involved in the creation <laughs> of a show, like built around that. And you've said like a few times that that, that was like a really important moment for you. Um, a Kind of gut check moment where you got to a kind of place, though, through that, where you could kind of create the series together. Um, And, you know, Bilal has said in interviews that there was something, quote, uh, about hearing a cis person use the word transition casually that was really powerful for them. Um, So I just I mean, I know you've spoken this elsewhere, but I'm wondering what was important and maybe remains important going into releasing the second season about that initial challenge for you. Like how was, you know, making sort of a way of of having an opportunity for you to process some of the stuff that like you were going through? When the idea began to gestate and how do you see it kind of um coming into some sort of fruition in season two
1: i mean if i could just say first of all like one of the reasons i'm thrilled by just the existence of this interview with gray and i because the secondary thing after Bilal sort of laid down that challenge of like why would i make this show with you you know um you know, I went off to think about it and presented them this idea that we, we would make a show that was cross-sectional and, 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 and about transition like for everybody mm-hmm. um, and how, how it looked in the world, because you know, not all transitions are like. And, and then Bilal said, well, if I'm me in the show, who are you? <laughs> and, and, and Gray Powell's here and Gray, you're me, just so you know. <laughs> uh, if you, you knew that. No pressure. <laughs> That's why I'm so on you, you know, about looking handsome all the time. I don't
0: That's know. right. Yeah. Great That's haircut right. in season two. Great haircut. Yeah. <laughs>
1: look, it's a good question. I think that season one was really about just being seen if you're going to sort of look at an mm-hmm. ultimate sort of theme for the the season, like the overarching theme of the show is transition, but like, you know, season one was just subby being seen. And then, so I think the next step is, is, you know, then being loved and loving and being able to uh, experience all the different kinds of love, um, that come with, you know, finally accepting yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. and, I think it starts with this kind of notion that, it, it, you know, there's a reference to, you know, Subby wanting a kind of love that's like uh, a Rachel McAdams love, you know, and, hmm. and, and then we, we just watched real love, like be a lot more complicated than, than that.
0: This is the thing, you know, Fab, you've mentioned uh, elsewhere that all the actors on the show show this like level of vulnerability, uh, when you're creating the series, like this this uh, element of play. and there are like I think these two powerful qualities that you're like clearly working through here, which is vulnerability but also like accountability that love is about like kind of both things for the for this show. Uh, so CBC sent me a press kit that to me was unlike any press kit I think I've ever seen uh, that has this like really moving articulation of accountability. It says, Accountability involves self-reflection, flexibility, humility, integrity, communication, and emotional regulation. I was like, "Yes, <laughs> this makes sense for a show that is about how to properly see others and about like combining humility and self-awareness with love." Um, so, as I mentioned, you know, I'm I'm the father in a family with one transgender person, one non-binary person, and to me, like, the show's focus on how transition is like not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, it's always supported by a community, was, like, really moving in terms of, like, trying to work through these ideas. Um, And I guess I wondered, like, how much awareness of that feeling of, like, support and community is going into the show. I know Bilal has said, like, there's a real desire to depict just warmth in a cold world. It's not about trying to be a Canadian show in terms of, like, the tenderness. It's about uh, yearning for warmth. Like how much of the emotionality of the writing is conscious and deliberate in those ways? And how much of it is just like organic and intuitive about and about kind of like play?
1: You know, what what was interesting for me as a writer, I started out with much harder lines going in. And it was actually Bilal who at one point, I I do remember this moment where we were writing early on before we even had a green light where where Bilal looked at uh, a scene that I had written and went, well, that's kind of mean.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: And I was like, "That's mean." I didn't even know that was mean. I thought, just thought that was funny, you know. And <laughs> Interesting. and then like how much humor, like, and and this is us coming out of that weird sort of like, you know, era of like cringe humor and and mm-hmm. and and the comedy of ridicule and you know and you know we did both write characters that you know you would just love to hate, you know. And then once we did that, we then three-dimensionalized those characters and went, you know, if you can't understand where a character is coming from, if you don't get it, then we haven't done our job, you know, and it doesn't mean taking the edge off of the character. Um, You know, there was a lot of struggle with Paul, for instance, because, you know, Paul was really kicking and screaming his way through experiencing the potential possible loss of, of his partner in in Mm -hmm. season one. And it came out in, in in the way that it's usually allowed to come out with men and cis men, particularly in a, in a, in a culture like ours, which is an anger, you know, with, with yeah. through anger and rage. And so, you know, we were very careful because it was like, Oh God, Paul kind of seems like a monster. We just really got to figure out how to, how to really feel where he's coming from. And I'm very excited about his journey, particularly in terms of season two and seeing what he goes through
2: Mm-hmm. And from that pr- perspective as well, it's it's hard uh, it, on that point. It's tough in a in a in a in a you know twenty three minute episodic um, mm-hmm. journey in one season to sort of because uh, it is a long game. You're hoping that the audience will stay with you in that struggle and how it re- how it manifests itself in that struggle because it it does need to go through stages. Um, so yes, hopefully they stay with us because he does. Mm. He does go through those th- that next stage, as do all the characters of their own. I, I think there's yeah, there's lots of different openings and breaking opens of of uh, of, of how they respond to their their various uh, uh, transitions in 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 their lives. I was going to add, and I'm not sure if this is an- answering uh, the question, or but adding, or answering, or taking mm-hmm. away from the question. But the idea too of uh, this 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 notion, or you you were talking about how it's um, uh, you, you we're raised by the community is there was so much involved in creating a space, not just in the writing, but also just on set. Um, uh, programs like uh, intern programs for transgendered youth to come in and sort of shadow and be a, an apprentice on set um uh and just having uh, the, uh visibility and being a part of it just the way that Bilal and Fab and the producers have kind of engaged in creating just an environment has i'm not sure if it's um if you could uh, or quantifying how how we all uh, how the tone of the show or, or or which was created first whether it was the tone of the show or the tone of the the environment because the set is the set, because Bilal is Bilal, because Fab is Fab, because the producers are the producers, everyone just kind of starts to f- fill in and figure out and, and open up. And it's, it's, it's much more soft, mm. I guess, in that, in that way.
0: Well, you've created like an environment uh, for creativity with so much care it sounds like like um you know fab i've heard you talk about like the learning curve of like managing a writers room uh and how like you had to you know think really carefully about your relationship with that environment like working with writers um i think it's in your creative company interview that you talk about like how to you know really consciously take seriously i guess the responsibility of of doing that kind of managerial work and and you said like balal it just like because of their experience working in a community and mentoring young trans folks, like it just kind of comes naturally to them. Whereas like for you, it it, it is a little bit more of like um, a process since uh, Gray kind of invoked it. Um, what can you speak to that, to the uh, trans mentorship mentorship program and like its significance going into the second season and maybe the third?
1: Yeah. I mean, I also want to talk about that, that notion of, caring about management in a particular way, you know, and it's both generational and both the lens that we have on the world, because, you know, like, what's interesting is like, you know, there's this belief somewhere that both, I think Gray was probably raised with too in in the arts where it's like, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a democracy. There has to be a dictator. And, um, and then you have to be kind of hard with people to, to, to get what you want. And, It's a myth. It's really a myth. And, 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 and it's sort of shaking that is, you know, because show running is really like, oh my God, it's, it's such a crazy thing to do. You know, it's, (laughs) you're really just riding it more than you are controlling it, you know? And, Mm. and once you get used to that and you open that up, like, you know, the, you know, there was an actor who came in, who I was giving a kind of direction to, and they were, I could tell they were just not, able to nail it. And, and I, instead of kind of doing what like my first instinct was, which was try to get them to do what I wanted them to do. I went up and I just said, I said, Hey, my direction is not resonating with you. Can you, Hmm. you know, like, how are you feeling about that? And they're like, well, I don't think that's the way that I should do the scene. And I'm like, Oh my God, then how do you think you should do the scene? And they had like an equally great Take on it, and I was like, "Well, do it. Like, yeah, let's do that," you know. And mm-hmm. it was really thrilling for me because that's when you bring in that sort of un- unsayable thing. You're monitoring what everybody's bringing, and yeah, and sort of to, tri- to 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 go into sort of like the mentorship program. I mean, you know, it was incredible to have people get their first exposure to something that they want to be doing that in a lot of cases ended up in actually being hired. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the people who ran the program were amazing and it was thrilling to see them then go to work, you know?
0: And I mean like it, it it speaks to kind of what Gray was talking about in terms of like the difference between a kind of um superficial appeal to diversity and something that is deeper, that is like in the DNA of a show. It's it's obviously the case that there's still like Uh, a deep level of, let's call it what it is, like systemic discrimination against trans and non-binary folks at the level of like the industry. So I think like making those moves to materially change uh, the conditions basically of like creating culture uh, is amazing. But uh, so just to kind of uh, loop back to something you were saying earlier about like (laughs) fab, like writing lines that felt mean and trying to sort of like develop characters that uh, are more sympathetic, like Paul, in some ways, could be a character who you love to hate like it's there are moments where he is kind of unsympathetic um you know he says things that are abrasive, and yet the the audience, if you stick around as Gray was saying and and kind of play the long game and and have a degree of patience, Paul becomes increasingly sympathetic, I would say, and this is the thing like for me as a viewer, as a cisgender hetero father um you know like I feel most seen in some sense, or maybe like more accurately implicated um, by the show's depiction of Paul. But I guess I wanted to ask about the specific ways that you generate sympathy in the audience for 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 Paul, both as a writer and as a performer. Like this is the idea is that, like, you know, there's a moment where Sabi says to Paul that he should stop treating others like they're an extra in his movie. One of the early episodes of the new season ends with this like emotional gut punch of a scene that is scored beautifully by Moses Sumney's song Plastic. Gray, your choices in that scene are like amazing to me acting is this mystifying art for a lot of people, myself included. What Paul is doing is clearly trying to hold back emotion that he cannot hold back. Um, And it seems like you're trying to perform that like gendered um thing of like trying to to do that like hold it back to restrain emotion but you you, he can't and I guess like how did you think about approaching that moment in that hallway where Paul can no longer pretend he isn't broken this is a good question now
2: I I haven't seen any of the
0: the screeners yet so I'm assuming
2: you mean a, a moment coming home is that right yeah yeah okay um well, to be you know, to be honest, if we go into the weeds, that was actually a that was a that was a str- that was a frustrating one. I I could tell yeah. you what I was hoping, what what I could tell you what was on the page, right. <laughs> and what I wanted to, and then what was what was as with anything on set, anything can happen. Um, we shot that at the end of the day, and there wasn't much there wasn't much time. Uh, I, had, I I knew on on a on an intellectual level. What it was that he was just there were things happening in paul's uh life some information that you know he's just kind of trying to process he doesn't know how um it's one of those moments where you just need a he just needed a release essentially mm-hmm. um it's it's just everything is is has been bottled so to get there i, <laughs> I was i was listening to this song over and over again that I had really sort of was able to take me somewhere uh, hmm. that had moved me. And, um, but it wasn't moving me on that, on that day. It just wasn't, there was, there was just things were happening and I I couldn't get in for Paul. It was a moment of release and that's what had to happen that he just couldn't contain himself and that he had, he didn't want anyone else to see it was, it was a, 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 what he thought was, a you know, he think he's hoping is a solitary moment. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh and then as an actor it was um a moment of tension because it it was it was it was fast and it was end of day and it was um trying to get to a place that I didn't think I'd got to a place um in in performance yeah wow yeah
1: yeah and look and just quickly from my point of view you know it's amazing that you say that you know and and because I've been an actor before and you know you want to you want to feel it but oftentimes when you don't feel it it's it's really good and you know what i first of all like i i think what Gray was able to pull out there at the, when he says we didn't have a lot of time. It was really run and gun that moment. It was really hmm. like he's he's underplaying like the level of emotion he was able to achieve uh, with 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 uh, with the sort of like not enough preparation. And I was kind of in awe of it to be honest. And and but at the same time, I knew that he wasn't feeling it. And because I had been there before. I was able to kind of just like, you know, and what's great about getting to direct and being one of the showrunners is that you know that you can you can see this moment through to the very end of post-production, you know? And a lot of directors don't have that privilege or ability um, to go, don't worry, I got you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make, this is going to work. I know this is going to work. I know what music we're going to put over, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, but Yeah. I think that is an example of a kind of vulnerability where we where we were trusting each other quite a bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, I think, and that's the biggest thing is the trust. And in, in and Fab is very clear about when he gets what he gets. He's got it, and he'll let you know. And if he hasn't got it, we we won't move on. And so it's that relationship is 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 wonderful because it's it's honest and. Uh, and and then he can patch stuff up in
0: post. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: that's all. By the way, that was all CGI. That, that performance. Yeah. Was, uh, right. <laughs> was all.
0: Yeah, for sure. That's. I mean, you can't tell. It's amazing. It's amazing um, right, what we can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um. But I mean, yeah. That uh, that one moment, right, is is such like an exemplary moment in in the sense of showing, um, how a total vision uh it it like it communicates on a on a certain kind of emotional level right and i wanted to like linger on that question about music like in in you know choices around what songs to select for certain scenes are some of the most consequential parts of i think the emotional power of good tv especially in this kind of renaissance that we're experiencing um it captures like the spirit of a scene and in some cases of of a whole show and i think that's the case with sort of like I wondered if you could speak to just that process of, you know, finding music, placing it in certain scenes to hit the right note. I mean, um, and maybe also like rewatching some of these episodes. How does the music impact you as a viewer? Um, I know some of the rationale around choosing music is to just promote um, new Canadian indie voices. Um, Did you, I don't know if you wanted to speak to the like... um, the role of music for you and how it gets chosen and the rationale around choosing maybe, I mean, Moses Sumney, of course, is a, um, is sort of a, you know, a, a queer artist who experiments with gender. So it fits in some ways the ethos of the show.
1: Sure. I also want to say that Gray is usually listening to Taylor Swift to get him to a
0: <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Aren't we all?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can we just spend the ah. rest of the interview talking about Taylor Swift's new album?
0: <laughs> Please. Um, yeah.
1: I want to say that Moses Sumney is the only uh, non-Canadian artist hmm. uh, in the season. And that happened as a result of us using... So the way we create music for the show, the process is not the usual process that a TV show uh Usually undergoes, and it came from working with Wilders and uh, the company that does uh, that supervises the music and um, creates some of it, and um, sort of also what I did previously uh, with Save Me. And we have music all written before we go to the edit bay. Hmm. So usually a show is edited with temp music, and then some poor composer has to then rewrite a bunch of music that everybody has already fallen in love with. And then it's kind of like, never <laughs> really feels like it felt when you were using, you know, your favorite Taylor Swift song to, you know, and yeah. um, um, so, uh, you know, what we talked about with Wilders is like, you know, there's this, team of, of of artists they create all this music they they put it in a bank for us and then while we're editing we 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 create it you know we create the drafts over and over of music so the music feels as nuanced as the show and we get to use it in surprising ways and we bounce it back and forth among us all and get people give notes and it's a lot like a script how a script is written you know or how the edit comes Uh, comes to version and so so sometimes we'll you know just have a vocal track in there and then it'll disappear and then the next time the song comes back it'll be the vocal track with the percussion and then when it comes back like by the end of the episode you have the full song you know Mm. Um, little things like that that you can do when you have the music um the Moses Sumney was really interesting because we didn't have we were, we were sort of like this season, we were kind of playing chicken with each other edit-wise and whether the music was ready. Uh, some of it was. Some of it was still coming. And um, uh, we used the Moses song as a temp. And we all fell in love with it. And we were like, OK, we, we will never be able to afford the song. And then um, uh, I just called uh, their manager. And I was like, look, this is what's happening. This is our show. We're a little Canadian show. We don't have a giant budget. We watch the episode and ask Moses if, if uh, um, you know, he will he wants to play with us. And uh, he did. Like, it wow. was amazing. Yeah. It was really wow. incredible.
0: I mean, he I worship that artist. I really do. And yeah. when that song, I mean, I already was a fan. But then when that song clicked in, I was like, thank goodness. This is, it was so much catharsis. I mean, on so, so many levels in that scene.
1: Yeah. It's hard to imagine it without that song, huh? Like it really just is. It is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I wanted to return to kind of, you know, the focus of this article that I'm writing on the show, you're both dads. Um, and you clearly are both people that I think, you know, reflect on what it means to be a dad, like your role. It's, 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 it's so deeply kind of saturated by this, just, just an unfathomable love. Right. But it's like coming from the other direction is interesting and sort of is so much about this thing. Like Violet, you know, is told by a therapist at one point in the first season that um, Paul has come to sort of like uh, make her do a lot of this kind of emotional work for him. And so like we often look at parenting as this top down relationship. Um, But what sort of is partly exploring is this idea that, uh, you know, when we're struggling as adults, our kids sometimes pick up the slack. Um, it's also, of course, you know, Fab, you gestured this about the kind of gendered aspect of it where, you know, cisgendered men sometimes just don't know how to show care. Uh, and so require a lot of it themselves, but are, are like in some ways oblivious to that. Um, you know, there's so many lines that I could quote on this uh, point, but I guess the question for me is like, how much has writing and performing on the show allowed you to like work through the ways that you kind of relate to your own families and, and think about like how the, your kids show you care too. You know, that's a great question.
1: (laughs) I'm going to answer 60, 40. That's good.
0: I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just thinking about the line where savvy has to explain to Paul that like showing kids you're human is being a good father. Like we have, we're like socialized a little bit as dads to like try to be superhuman or whatever, but it's like so against the like, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that's the constant tension. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm still, I, I, this is, this is what I'm finding the fascinating journey of fatherhood is that I really, I'm, I am, it's constantly changing. I'm constantly changing my, um, approach. I'm constantly catching up. I feel, uh, I'm trying to meet them where they're at. I'm also mm. getting hooked into where I think they are. My ego gets involved. Um, I'm, com- I'm, I'm, uh, the, the, you know, when we were especially, and I think the last You know 2020 2021 at home schooling all in the same house together i i i'm not sure what they've taken on (laughs) and how much how much they've taken my um i have a i have a partner and we're we're, we we i mean we talk all the time we feel like we are uh, on the same page for most things but we do the kids have seen they've seen all i think uh, colors of 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 their parents and and myself and the the only thing that I try to do is at least a, own up when I've gone you know when I've when I feel like I've I've either exposed too much in terms of maybe emotion or oh well, no not even that just we we just constant community I feel like we're just constantly communicating I have one son that really really uh, engages in communication and wants to talk. And I have another that's, he's younger. I've got a 13 year old and a nine year old and a 13 year old. We're constantly communicating. I have no idea how to do this, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Um, sure. But we're learning. And I think trying to meet them where, where they are at is the biggest thing um, that I'm, I'm constantly figuring out ages and stages, I, I guess.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting I think you know the perspective that the show has brought me on a bunch of levels can be distilled down to the notion that you cannot engineer your child. Hmm. You know yeah. it, it, you know we as parents weirdly on an ego level take responsibility for who our children are sometimes and it's not it's really misplaced and your child is who they are and in fact i feel like when i'm being a really great dad it's when i'm sitting back and i'm just watching
0: hmm.
1: watching it unravel you know watching my child become who they are you know and you're like the shepherd hmm. <laughs> you know you're just kind of there like you know kind of showing them the way and and all you can really do and it sounds simple but it's not you know like all you can really do is be there for them whenever they need you
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure um and i guess like i wanted to ask about the uh the kids on the show i mean fab did you feel like you needed child actors who sort of got the overarching message of the show about like transitions freedom of freedom of expression all of those things and did they like get that off the off the top or did they kind of develop develop it on the fly on the fly as it were and then like for you gray in terms of just you as an actor in these scenes with the with the two of them um like i've heard Bilal describe how kaya and aiden kind of bonded effortlessly on set but Mm -hmm. like i'm wondering how you develop the kind of rapport that lets you play off of them as their dad hmm
2: the rapport the rapport really comes just from the it it Comes from the play that the sort of the playfulness that happens when we're when we're not uh, when we're not on camera because when mm-hmm. we are on camera it's very it's very we're not rehearsing much we're you know it's it's pretty quick we have a you know we'll get up we have maybe a couple passes at just for um, saying the lines and then and then we're kind of in the scene so all that stuff that's happening the rapport is sort of being created um, between between scenes and um is mm-hmm. really she's she's a sponge. She's, she's curious. She's uh, always just sort of present wanting to. So, so it, it, and between that, they all, yeah, they, they did develop their own thing. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it was just sort of being in each other's space um, mm-hmm. and, and connecting in that way. Right.
0: That's cool.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's interesting because, you know, like, I don't know if this is all kids, but because I haven't directed a lot of child actors, but like, you know, they really want to do it right. Mm-hmm. And and yet you want to inspire them to bring what they bring, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time. And they don't really have a sense yet, often, depending on the age, how they're coming off. Like, you know, like, Grey has a very refined instrument. I, you know, Grey knows kind of you know i can go to gray and and be like turn the volume down like two notches and he'll be like got it you know like Mm -hmm. it's very interesting because the two of them Kayla likes very specific direction Mm -hmm. like literally like she likes it when you tell her to count to three for a pause for instance you know um and yet the moment like when she auditioned she was able to do and she was gosh how long ago did we do that sizzle reel she was like um maybe 13 and she was able to do a full monologue without like (laughs) with the switch i was like you're ready to do an aaron sorkin show and (laughs) and uh and like um and then aiden is a little different you know although like they want the beats told to them, but like Aiden was like, you know, I remember the first day where I was like trying to sort of encourage him to do less, uh, you know, acting. And I was like, yeah, maybe you can like, you know, maybe just pull it back. He goes, yeah, yeah, I get it. Less is more. <laughs> and he's like nine, <laughs> you know, right? Like it's, it was yeah. so funny. But the, the, the great moment was watching Aiden kind of open up because at one point he, he, he was like, do do I have to say the script? Hmm. And I was like, no, just do what you want to do in this scene, you know? And it was this beautiful moment where they're both eating popcorn on the couch. Oh, yeah. And it's just so real. It's so real between them. I just,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, and it, there's an incredible quality to those scenes. It's like, it does feel perfectly natural. And, you know, some of the biggest... Comedy, something like Modern Family, like some of those exchanges, no shades or whatever, uh, between the kids feel a little bit stilted, like feel forced, right? Because those are very professional actors who are trying to get it exactly right, um, but that doesn't leave maybe like room for for randomness or or you know intimacy to emerge in some ways. And like Gray, I know you've talked about being like a champion of the Shaw Festival and that theater company uh, which you've, you know, worked, work with for a long time because it specifically lets actors log hours. Um, and I guess like, I wondered if that was a rarity for actors in some ways to just like get to work on your instincts, refine your abilities. And like, have you tried to sort of imagine ways to build more of a community where actors can work on their craft in ways that aren't like purely commercial or academic?
2: I think that's the dream of, of most actors is to have that. I think that's why so many people follow up with workshops and training and keep it going as much as possible. The luxury of being at a, the luxury, the, the double edged sort of being at a, at a festival, at a theater, you know, the, for that long was that you do, it's a different muscle. It's a longer, it's a longer run. Um, so when I say logging hours, it just means every day you're on uh, working, just, you know, doing, just being there with an audience. Um mm-hmm that's a different muscle than this here, you know, when we're, when we get into um, uh, doing little fragmented pieces of story. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, 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 that's, it's nice to have that background to go, okay, I can just sort of, but you also have to, I guess it's getting used to then diving in right away and getting it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is, there is no being able to get it after six weeks or so.
0: Sure. (laughs) You know, Yeah, and I mean, like, to Fab, what you were saying, right? It's like, you're bringing, as a director, like, so much of that acting experience to um, trying to, yeah, figure out modes of communication. Um, And the other thing that I wanted to ask you about in terms of, like, writing is you have this great uh, line where you talk about, like, again, I watched a bunch of these interviews, where you talk about, like, um, how the way that you write is that you do the first draft as subtext and then the second draft is like masking it. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of writing, you know, both you and Bilal are, are playwrights as well. So you're like conscious about like dialogue and how much is happening at the level of dialogue. And, you know, so I'm just super impressed by how, how each character on sort of has its own, their own distinct voice, you know? And, and I just wondered if you could speak to that thing of like the multiple drafts being about trying to refine and make more human these people in their uniqueness, their awkwardness, their singularity and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because everybody everybody um, contributes to that, you know, yeah. and, and I'm talking about the writing room as well as, you know, and that's why you, that's why we have different people who have different lenses that work on the show and they have different points of view when it comes to different characters. And, you know, it's funny what Bilal will sometimes be uh um able to see paul's journey more than i will and vice versa i'll be able to see sabi's journey more than bilal will sometimes you know and this is also it it goes every department affects every other department like you know i want to give like a shout out to jennifer kawaja who's the producer without whom this show would not exist because it's a top-down thing you cannot make a show like this without it coming from the person who whose job it is to uh, talk to the network you know and put together the budgets and decide what the set is going to feel like and who to hire mm. you know all, all these things make a difference in terms of that and then also trusting ball Bal and i to do that on set where it's like oh the scene was written one way but this happened or, you know, we shoot the show so fast that some days it's like, okay, this is not gonna work. We have to rewrite like on our feet, you know? Um, uh, Gray got COVID this season and and then we had to drop a bunch of scenes that Gray was in and then re kind Mm -hmm. of, and then we rewrote the whole script while we were shooting without the Paul character. And then we were like, no, but we really need this scene. So we figured out how to take one of the scenes that was in another episode and jam it, you know, figured out, you know, so wow. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's jazz. <laughs> yeah. And, and, to, and
2: speaking of that too, you, you got, you have such a, a great ability on, on set. Like, as you say, if things don't work in the actor's mouths, you're sort of, you're, you're very willing to go, okay, let's say this or try this or, and that's, that's really helpful. And when you do get something that is, we get something that you've, you you'll you're good with saying let's try one just for fun and see where it goes. And that's great. And we, and you're, and fab and Bilal are, are really There's Sometimes I would come in with an idea and go, Oh, this is what the scene is. And then we'd have a talk and go, Oh, no, that's totally different. And that's okay. Mm, and I think, yeah. I think also the logging of hours as an actor, the, the ideal is that you get to work all being comfortable with being able to come in with an idea, but also be flexible enough to, on the fly is 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 a sweet spot to be in, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it's but that also takes trust in w- yeah. one's own self, who's they're working with. Yeah,
1: yeah. I was used to we we used to have a joke about like because we prepare, we prepare, we prepare, and then we go in and we're like, forget everything you've learned, you know, and nobody ever says that to like a brain surgeon right before they <laughs> go in, you know, like <laughs> sure. you don't ideally you want your doctor, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I mean, yeah, and, and it's interesting to think about, like, the second season, the introduction of, you know, Amanda Bruegel as Gaia or, like, Scott Thompson, you know, these, these people, like, um, who come in and need to fit, like, the chemistry, the complex alchemy of that, like, system uh, that you've built of kind of trust. Um, like, I know, Fab, uh, one of the things I noticed, like, you, you talk about going against the expectations of the characters you've set up versus who they are in reality, and that flexibility, that elasticity um, is like one of the great joys of the show is just like, again, giving people room to grow. The thing to me that I like most took away and it's so subtle again in the show is this idea that one of the most aspirational parts almost of the show is this, this sense that trans and gender nonconforming people in particular, don't just deserve inclusion Uh, But that they offer like an inclusive model of fluidity and freedom for like all of us. It's like it's this it's a show about trans liberation uh, or gender liberation more broadly. And so like to me, that's what is sort of aspirationally Canadian in the specific sense of like Canada identifying itself as like a multicultural nation, at least in name. Um, But there's a lot of work to be done. So season two is all about love right? There's this idea that that it's all about uh, the man, like multiple ways that love manifests itself. You're, you're like engaging with the scripts, you're trying to bring them to life, you're doing doing this work of improvising on the fly. Do you feel, I guess, like you nailed it, in spite of all those challenges, in spite of COVID, in spite of everything, nailed that spirit of a show that is so much about radical self-love, a community of care, you know, love beyond tolerance, and like this yeah, this beauty of radical acceptance?
1: I think the answer is like, sometimes I feel like we nail it. And sometimes I feel like we don't, you know, and I think that's the part of accepting, like, it's it's like, it's like that thing where you kind of uh, have to let go of your perfectionism to ever get put anything out there. You know, there are days where I go back, I go home completely, you know, heartbroken because we didn't have enough time to do a scene in the way that I, hoped it would go. You know, that night when we shot that scene with Gray, I felt really terrible that Gray didn't have the time that I I, I could feel Gray going, Do you have what you need? Yeah. I'm like, I got it. And and then he was like, great. And then he went home. You know, and I I could tell he didn't feel, you know, fulfilled by, you know, what he was doing. And that sucks. But we have budgets, we have notes we have to, you know, we have this gauntlet of things that we have to go through and And, and then the show comes out, I mean, to make, to bring it back to the sort of analogy of being a parent, it's like, I, 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 I am not the creator of the show. Neither is Bilal, like we all are, but Bilal and I are in a position in different ways to shepherd the show, Mm -hmm. you know? So what comes out comes out, you Mm -hmm. know, and, you know, we hope and pray that people will love it and let us keep doing it. Um, But I think, I think instead of trying to hammer it into this kind of sh- shape, we let it be what it is. And and I think that you feel that in the show kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I just want to say, yes, th- that's shepherded in the show too. The idea of just all we can do is speak, is be as present as we can in those scenes and talk honestly as possible. The alchemy of what happens in the writing room is mind blowing to me. This season, I think for me, I walked in going, I, what is going to happen? And what I'm so blown away by is, yes, love is it, but it's also how you how they've the, how they've managed to expand the world and introduce all these new characters, and at the same time deepening it at this and that. That I am blown away by um, how people can do that when they get together and in their little writing things and write.
1: Wait, you do you know about our little writing things?
2: I've heard of them. I've heard of them. I haven't seen them, but there are rumors. <laughs> but you, uh, you will always say just, and I'm a big believer in this, just talk to each other. And as an audience member watching other shows, when I see shows where people are just talking to each other, those are the ones I love. I'll follow them. I'll follow them to the messy complexity and whether or not it works and whether or not it's note for note perfect, because what is that? It's not human. And there mm. are shows that work in that virtuostic setting that they need to do something like that's the conceit. This is humans talking to humans, figuring out human things. And that's, and I, I don't, I don't want to reduce it by saying that, because I think that's where you talk about when we as a culture and country talk about, you know, what is, what is multiculturalism? What is, I think it's, I, I still think it's trying to be as human as possible. And that's messy. Mm. And that's what I love about the show is that we're, we're engaging with that messiness, that there is nothing. Paul's messy and he's got a lot of flaws and that's uh, and and he's struggling. And that's mm-hmm. so from that perspective, I, I, I that's where I appreciate the writing in this and where where it's shepherded and stewarded.
0: Yeah, the writing is amazing. It really is like there are specific lines that still like echo in my head. Right. People do whatever they want. dejected line that ruffo says at one point i
1: love the way she says it oh
0: it's (laughs) It's amazing um yeah it's so powerful and so i'm i'm excited that the show is premiering you've got to be excited about showing it um to people uh it's gonna be it's gonna be something else
1: yeah thanks for that and you know I, i i'm really excited about people seeing this season and um yeah, I, sorry. That was I don't know. That was not. You didn't even ask a question, and I was just like,
0: <laughs> "Hey, I'm comfortable with letting you go there." Um,
1: <laughs> we, bar- we barely talked about
0: our kids. Like, what's
1: you know, which I, which I, which that's I love. <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
0: Um, I didn't know how much to pry around. Like that seemed pretty personal. Like I just wanted to touch on that, right? Like you, you as dads. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Fab, I've noticed like you're not guarded guarded but like a little bit guarded in terms of like where you were at when the show came into being and like you know you kind of like speak obliquely to how you were going through upheaval and like why would you want to divulge all that stuff it's like super personal
1: yeah it's tricky it's it's personal and also you know the show isn't about that you know like so i'm careful to not make it about me you know and you know, it's so funny because I've been in front of the camera my whole career, and just these last few years, and especially on this show, I love just being behind and letting other people kind of shine. And and um, you know, it it really does take its own life. It's funny; the show really does become its own thing, and and you it's it's sort of a back and forth so i don't want to i don't want to influence how people see the show particularly based on sort of my own personal life experience and mm-hmm. um other than gray does like an amazing imitation impression of me going through difficult times
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean like just to think night. about the interplay between the two of you right the idea that like for you like, Paul is, you know what I mean? Like, and then, like, you must feel a strange sort of responsibility as well, right? Like, the idea of being Fab's emissary in, the, in, in, pop, in pop culture.
2: I, it's, it's, I'm honored. To- you
1: guys. know, we got a note once about one of the episodes in first season where, like, you know, somebody said, Paul is a monster. And I, I took it so personally, right? Because I right. totally didn't see it. Like, I totally was like, no, oh, I, he's, that's he's strong. just going through stuff, you know?
2: No, I know. I yeah. I, I, I remember that. then yeah, it, it, it was. It, I did. I did. I took that personally, too, because you sort of go, mm. well, wait, no. As I And that's why I was talking earlier about it. It's, it's the long game. Mm-hmm. It's got to go through yeah, this yeah.
0: part. Yeah, yeah. What about the eating? I wondered about that. Like, you're eating in one scene in the first season, just piece after piece of, like, fried tofu. As an actor, first of all, I got to think that's tricky. There's a scene in the (laughs) second season where you open the door and you greet someone, you've got, like, food in your mouth. That can't be easy to do. But then also, like, food as a part of Paul's character is this, like, slow, again, like a slow burn in terms of, like, what's going on in terms of almost, like, self-medicating his own emotional you know, struggle. I don't know if you wanted to talk at all about like that piece of his character or what it meant as an actor to be eating.
2: No, I think I think that's I think I think that's it. It's the self-medicating. It's it's that psychological stuff. I I don't have a connection to that myself personally. So it becomes becomes more of the ritual um, mm. in terms of what it is uh, for me to go there. But it's so it's so wonderfully specific and placed that. I think just the capturing of it is all that really is needed. Um, mm-hmm.
0: It's stress eating, it's it's compulsion. And it's like, there's nothing tragic about it in those scenes, which is what I like. Like it's played for comedy in terms of like the tone. And yet it feels to me like you're still being encouraged to like sympathize with this guy, um, to know where he's at. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the show is phenomenal. And thanks so much. It's been great talking to both of you. You too. Thanks, Scott.
1: Yeah. Thanks for doing this. I loved I love being interviewed together, so thank you.